You're listening to Latin Experts, a podcast of Latino studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Latin Experts features the voices of faculty, staff, and students, as well as friends and alumni of the Department of Mexican-American and Latina Latino Studies, the Latino Research Institute, and the Center for Mexican-American Studies. Join us for this episode of Latin Experts. Welcome to Latin Experts. I'm Karma Chavez, your host for today, and this is episode six. Over the past several weeks, leftist organizing and academic communities in places like New York, Madison, and Indianapolis have been dealing with the aftermath of revelations that some of the loudest and wokest members of their communities, Jessica Krug, C.V. Vitolo, and Satchel Cole, were actually white people masquerading as black. This type of racial or ethnic fraud is unfortunately not new. Many made connections to earlier revelations from 2015 about the Spokane NAACP's former director, Rachel Dolezal's similar anti-Black race fakery, and UC Riverside professor and radical feminist Andrea Smith's false claim to Cherokee heritage, a claim she still makes despite being asked not to by the Cherokee Nation. What's up with these frauds? Should they just be canceled? Do they tell us something about the state of identity politics and left-leaning social movements and academic spaces? Do they tell us something about white identity politics? Are the cases of playing Indian and putting on blackface comparable, or how should we discuss them in relation to one another? Are these frauds government agents? So many questions and so little time, but to help me unpack some of the stakes of these recent revelations, I've invited two esteemed guests. First, Joseph M. Pierce, a member of the Cherokee Nation, is associate professor at Stony Brook University. He is author of Argentine Intimacies, Queer Kinship in an Age of Splendor, which came out last year from SUNY Press, and he's also a University of Texas at Austin alumna. And we also have Zaire Denze Flores, an associate professor of sociology and Latino and Caribbean studies at Rutgers University and a member of Black Latinas Know. Her research focuses on understanding how the urban built environment mediates race, class, and social inequality. Uh, welcome both of you to Latin Experts. Hi, Karma. Thanks for having me. Definitely. I'm so excited you both are here. And I'm going to just jump right in because there's a, a lot to unpack here. And so one of the responses to these cases of racial or ethnic fraud is to reify or naturalize biological understandings of race rooted in blood. So how do we have these discussions without falling into problematic understandings of racial purity or uh, races biology? Um, and Joseph, I'm going to pitch that to you first. Um, I think that's a really important question because it asks us, what is the difference between race and belonging? Race is a concept um, and a structure that has evolved over time but always in a way that is um, that marginalizes certain communities um, because of a presumed phenotype or blood um, quantum in the case of indigenous communities. And it leaves out, um, it, it uh, usurps 
our own understandings of who we are as people and our own ways of belonging uh, to each other as a community. So something like um, DNA testing is a good example um, in which someone will attempt to verify a claim to being indigenous in a way that completely circumvents the way that tribes um, understand what it means to be a citizen of a sovereign nation. No tribe accepts a DNA test as um, being the same as membership or citizenship in a nation. And yet people continue to try to use biology, um, quote, and I'm doing air quotes there, uh, biology as a way of claiming um, membership in a community. And, and, that's, and that's really problematic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think this distinction is important. And I'm actually going to pitch this a little bit different way uh, to you, Zaire, in, um, by talking about something that the Black Latinos Know Collective uh, wrote in this really important Twitter thread. And I think you were one of the main authors of this. Uh, and you're writing in the context of, of one of these race fakers, Jessica Krug, who, who made a claim of not just Black identity, but Afro-Latina identity. So the collective rights, and I'm going to quote it at length here, narratives of mestizaje suggest that race is fluid, and as a result, anyone can be Black or everyone has some Black ancestry. This does not, however, work in reverse. Not everyone can be white. And so we have to recognize mestizaje works within a context of and supports white supremacy. Go on, policing blackness is not about exclusion. It's not that kind of club. We protect our energy and safety and celebrate our common experience in the face of a world that often denies us life. We must protect blackness. So I'm wondering if you could first give us just a brief primer on how you're using mestizaje here, and then help us understand the difference between policing and protecting Blackness. Yeah. So really great questions and complex questions um, that I would uh, begin with um, this concept of mestizaje, which really has been used to different ends. And so one of the ends, and this is linked to um, movements to decolonize uh, Latin America was to suggest that we are all mixed, that there are no differences. So it's a laudable goal of those who were seeking independence. But in the process, we eliminated sort of the ability to talk about the exclusions and the disparities and inequities that are produced um, in these societies that are at the heart of the birth of these societies. So in mestizaje, it wouldn't necessarily yield um, uh, black or dark or indigenous, pure and undesirable sort of uh, positions but we would yield a widened um, mixed type that would be representative of the nations in those cases or of the community or of the public. And so in that sense, uh, in naming white supremacy, 
in, engage in mestizaje, which in some ways were meant to resolve, right, um, inadequate, pure, quote-unquote, pure subjects, um, we are then highlighting the ways in which power is already engaged in the, in the concept of mestizaje. So in talking about that, quote-unquote, unadulterated Black subject, we are then thinking of the ways in which this Black subject makes sense of themselves in the context of a racial unequal society. And social psychologists, you know, and more to the U.S., but have spoken of the ways in which there is a racial pride or a Black pride that emerges from an experience of oppression. And so to speak of protecting our subjecthood as Black racial subjects, it's about making sure that those racial oppressions are maintained at bay. And so I think there is a conversation in the mestizaje about, um, about having black roots or being a mixed community um, with the intent of fighting against the tropes of white supremacy. But in the process, we sort of talk away the, what we call the fact of blackness, right? What Fanon named the fact of blackness, where you as an quote unquote, visibly black subject continue to face the conditions of oppression that produce that very uh, mestizo, but white supremacist notion of um, the public and community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is really, um, it's so interesting and so important to think in this context of what we're talking about with uh, racial fraud, uh, the fact of, of Blackness and um, the kind of visual politics there. And I think in some ways this this question leads me to the next thing I, I wanted to, to talk about, which is one of the reasons I really wanted to bring the two of you into conversation is because I really wanted to be able to think about uh, some of the tensions uh, or when I just say relationships between anti-Blackness and anti-Indigeneity, um, as well as Black and Indigenous communities that I think these questions about racial and ethnic fraud bring to the surface. And Joseph, you wrote a powerful thread of tweets uh, where you noted that you, you didn't want to turn attention away from Blackness um, and Black people who've been harmed by these present situations. But at the same time, and I'm going to quote from you at length here, you said that the feeling of deception here is so recognizable because of Andrea Smith, who's still publishing books with Duke University Press on Indigenous issues, and Elizabeth Warren, and so many others. And you say, and because of how my own ancestors will only ever exist as a memory imagined, and because of the effects of white supremacy and subtler colonialism for me as an indigenous person and as the child of an adoptee, and because those memories are the only tenuous link, the threadbare strand of connection that I have to a sense of self that seems ever on the brink of being accused of false, invented, or appropriated. 
The feeling of devastation and of loss erupts all over again in moments like this. I haven't even begun to process until now, but damn, this is hard. So those are your powerful words, and I want to turn it to you to ask, how should Indigenous people who've been harmed by Andrea Smith or other instances of fraud ethically respond to this moment, which is about playing Black? I think that this is a moment where um, we are witnessing how white supremacy affects um, racialized communities in similar but distinct ways. And so I would say, um, and what I was trying to get at with that thread is um, that Black and Indigenous people, one of the things that we share is um, a marginal relationship because, through white supremacy. So we are, we are all living in a white supremacist world. And the Americas as a concept, as an epistemological space, and as a built environment um, is predicated on indigenous dispossession and the enslavement of black people. That's, that's the foundation of contemporary capitalist modernity. What that means for our shared struggle is that dismantling white supremacy may, may look differently for indigenous people um, than for Afro-diasporic communities in different locations throughout the Americas. Um, it also means that we have a shared investment in naming those structures of oppression where they exist. One of those places is in usurping our lived experiences. Um, as Saida was saying, the fact of Blackness is one of those moments in which the Black subject is interpolated uh, by the state or by a white gaze. Um, this is something that also happens um, for Indigenous people in a slightly different way, in which so often Indigenous experience is tethered inevitably to the past, as a relic of the past, as something that is able to be put on and taken off like a costume or like a mascot. So when we see people like Andrea Smith, who have claimed Cherokee ancestry for a very long time, um, we have to first recognize that, um, she, that she is claiming Cherokee identity and she is not claimed by Cherokee people. Um, this is a phrase that happens a lot in, in activist circles in indigenous um, movements is it's not who you claim, but it's who claims you. Andrea Smith is not claimed by Cherokee people. This does not mean, this does not mean um, that um, enrollment, blood quantum, citizenship, um, are, are not problematic. They are problematic because they are constructed in relationship to white supremacy. And so what we have to do is be able to hold both of these um, at the same time. On the one hand, Smith has deceived so many people um, and she continues to assert influence over Native studies and now um, Black and Native studies um, in a way that um, 
is not accountable to the communities that she is affecting. Um, and that's one thing that that we have to to really um, consider. And on the other hand, um, the the strategies that are often used uh, by white people to claim um, membership in the Americas is by inventing or masquerading, playing um, as some sort of ethnic minority. And this is where mestizaje comes up, but sort of from the other side where someone can put on the mask of an Indian and then take it off because they are operating from the position of white privilege and white structural privilege. This is not the same uh, right or privileged that that is um, afforded to black and indigenous people who are coming from the experience of uh, genocide and enslavement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Zaida, I want to pitch this back to you in, in a sense about these relationships between indigeneity and blackness, especially when thinking about people in the African diaspora have in large part lost connections to African indigeneity. And then when we're talking about Afro-Latinx folks in particular, there are also connections to often detribalized or denationalized indigeneity in the Americas. And so it, it seems this relationship maybe isn't, you know, as clear as it might seem to some people on Twitter. So how should we be thinking these issues in relation to each other? It's quite a, a difficult subject because I think it involves, and I think these theor- theories of mestizaje or conceptions of mestizaje or even the playing of um, a character by these uh, people, these fakers, involves a reduction, right, of um, experiences. And um, in the case of Latin America and the Caribbean and how it manifests for Latinx communities in the U.S., there is such a broad range of uh, experiences and relationship between Afro-diasporic communities and indigenous communities. So to phrase the question in the context of the Caribbean, where the indigenous is exalted as sort of like a solution to um, Africa, right? Like the, as a escape from Africa, it's, it's a, a quite different premise of posing it for Central America or South America or even Mexico. So um, it's, it's quite a tough um, uh, negotiation that um, happens there. Not to say that, you know, the legacies of freedom and sovereignty that are circulated around Afro-diasporic and um, indigenous communities are not um, uh, very real and have existed right throughout in the Americas. But to the question of how then do we think of the fakers and this context, Joseph mentioned these ideas of mestizaje, right, of indigenous and African and Spanish ancestry coalesce to create a sense of like everyone is everything so we don't know what anyone anybody is and so that leverages these identities or qualities 
that people decide to attach themselves to in order to make claims of authenticity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very interesting the types of qualities and characteristics that then are drawn or referenced. So in in the case of Krug, um, these uh, qualities, things like poverty and sexual violence and um, uh, are kind of referenced that really reveal more about a white supremacist or a white gaze of um, these Afro-diasporic and even uh, um, uh, indigenous or excluded um, communities uh, that um, that really miss right the very experience the racial experience in this case of being black Latina mm-hmm. um, and 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 then offer this mestizaje kind of conception as a as a front right for these very rather complex um, sense of self that is really being articulated by a Black Latino community. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, that's exactly right. And it's uh, profoundly sad as well. Um, I told you that this time was going to go quickly. And as a matter of fact, it has because we are pushing up at the end of our time uh, together. So we're going to have to leave it there, but I hope maybe you'll consider participating uh, in listening party, the listening party we're going to do. But I really want to thank you both for being here today. Zaire Dinze Forest and Joseph Pierce for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That was very fast. (laughs) I know it goes so fast. Um, And I also just want to mention the Latin Experts Collective, which is comprised of faculty and research staff in Latino studies at UT who helped me to think through how to frame this episode. So big thanks to them. And thanks to all of you for listening to Latin Experts. Hi, y'all. This is Ashley Nava Monteros, the Communications Associate at Latino Studies. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to check out the Latino Studies Instagram page. Follow us at Latino Studies UT to keep the conversation going.